Is our spiritual intelligence gaining ground? What do I mean by that? How's your spiritual IQ? That's another way to put it. Well, you may have noticed, Phil read in Colossians chapter 1, some passages we've been looking at before, but those verses, verses 9 through 14, came right after Paul was praying for the, the believers in the city of Colossae. And as he was praying, it was in the context of Epaphras coming and giving this glowing report of how those believers had been growing in their faith, growing in, in their uh, faith, growing in their love for one another, growing in their hope of the future in Christ, and it was changing how they were living. So in light of that good report, what does Paul do? Well, he asks that they, he says, I have not ceased praying for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so you can walk even Matt Meter paraphrase, better than you have been walking. Typical ministry leader, typical elder, typical pastor, always wanting their sheep to do better. Not because we have the power and strength to do it ourselves, but because of the power of Christ. You know, Paul's prayer, by the way, is not, this isn't an isolated request. Colossians was written when Paul was in prison in Rome, we believe, and, and the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon were all written around the same time from that prison, time of imprisonment. Philippians 1.9, listen, it almost sounds like the same wording as in Colossians. And it's my prayer that your love will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Same idea, growing and abounding in love and becoming sharper in your spiritual wisdom and walk. Or in Romans chapter 12, a little bit differently, but familiar verses to many, Paul wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So kind of the same idea, right? Growing in spiritual discernment, understanding who Jesus is, understanding what Jesus has done to make you a child, a son or a daughter of God, and then living differently because of what he's done. Hey, last time I checked, read the news headlines. Did you bother reading the news today? I never do on Sunday mornings. I don't want it to mess with my head too much. <laughs> but the world's a messy place. It's teetering, it would seem, on the edge of major war. There's all kinds of wars going on. We don't even listen or hear about them anymore. There's so many going on. But it's teetering on the edge of war, environmental disasters, whether they're natural or man-made disasters, it's happening all the time. Earth's bad news is overwhelming. My own weaknesses, my own sins, my own failings overwhelm me. Problems too big for humanity on our own to figure out. Technology helps us, but then it doesn't help us, right? It makes things worse sometimes. It's the way it's been for millions, well, thousands of years. Let's go that way. 
So the question this morning is, what difference can I make in a world that's so messy? Any of you ever throw up your hands, or at least in your mind? What can we do, the hundred of us that are here today or so? Can we really make a difference in our world? Well, here's the good news. You already know the good news, I hope. The Holy Spirit through Paul, God the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us, yes, you can go into the fray with Christ, not by yourself, but with Christ, and he's blessed you. And by growing in your new life with Christ, the earthly ideas can be overcome by heaven's ideas as you live and walk with God's power in Christ. The new life that Christ has given you to us by faith, we haven't earned it, we haven't made it, he's given it to us. Yes, we can be fruitful and honor him. People will hear, and those who are called to believe will be made blameless. You know, instead of the dog-eat-dog, instead of the me-first mentality, instead of the person who has the most toys at the end of their life wins, that kind of false thinking, heaven's willing to replace it with the greatest one is what? The one who is a slave to all, who serves everyone else. That forgiving, that forgiving grace and love does overcome evil. That's heaven's values. That dying to self actually leads to life. So God's word is trying to transform us, has the power to transform us, and that's a tall order. But we can, by knowing Jesus, who he is and what he's done to change us by his power and grace. We've been going through fruitfulness on the front lines. That's our theme for the months of January and February. Today's number, number 4M, uh, modeling godly character. We looked at that. Making good work that we can do all things for the glory of God, whatever we're doing. Ministering grace and love. We, we, we talk about clothing ourselves with Christ and, and growing in him. And today we're talking about molding culture. So let's take a look. Three things. A maturing spiritual intelligence, what that looks like. And then I want to look at, take a few moments to look at that. That actually helps us then mold a culture in the church. I want us to think about our culture here and how it needs to be transformed by Christ, how we live together. And then as we are maturing in our culture here following Christ, how that can have impact in our world. So let's take a look, first of all, at a maturing spiritual intelligence. Through faith in Christ, we become complete. In Colossians 2, we looked at these verses a few weeks ago. For in him, that is of, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Jesus is fully God, and when you believe in him, then it says that you are being or are filled with Christ. His life is now part of your life. We have all that we need to stand blameless 
before God our judge. That's an amazing truth. That is the hard-to-believe truth of the good news of Christ. So many people stumble at the idea of God forgiving us without doing anything but believing. That's the amazing truth of God's grace. Many people stumble over it. They don't believe that Jesus' cross is enough. But it says that in Colossians 2, again, verses 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiving us all our trespasses by canceling the debt, the record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it, to the cross. That's an amazing truth. And we receive that gift, that forgiveness, not by earning it, not by doing, that's the world's way by earning it, but by believing, just simply admitting the need. Now, that truth is repeated in the letter to the Ephesians, written about the same time. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You who used to walk in these disobedient ways. In verse 4, it says in Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. That's the amazing truth of the gospel that's hard to believe, but God's offering it to the world. We are complete in Christ, so that when we see him face to face, we will have nothing to fear. That's amazing. You don't know me that well. You know me, but you don't know me that well. Don't talk to my wife, please. (laughs) Don't talk to my children. But they know me. But Christ even knows me better. And I do not deserve his grace and forgiveness. But he loved me and has forgiven me. And I was very young when I accepted that gift, when he gave that gift to me. And I have sinned so many times since. But they were covered through his loving mercy. Would you not receive that grace today if you have not? Learn and believe. And then understand that there's more to learn about this great Savior. (laughs) We need to pray and ask him to teach us more about him and more what he's done for us so that we can learn from him. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this to a very disobedient, sinful people, the Israelites. They were going, had been taken off to Babylon. And here's the promise God gave to those people. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for for David a righteous branch, and he will be his king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. I've been quoting a lot from Charles Spurgeon, and I'm going to do it again. 
he picked up on that one little phrase in a devotional of his, the Lord our righteousness. It will all, and here's what he says, it will always give a Christian the greatest calm, the greatest quiet, the greatest ease, the greatest peace to think of the perfect righteousness of Christ. So know Jesus. Think about how perfect and holy, gentle, kind, but perfect he was. How often the saints of God are downcast and sad, and I do not think they would be if they could always see that they are perfect, made perfect in Christ. There are some who are always talking about corruption and, and the sinfulness and the depravity of the heart and the innate evil of the soul. And the truth is, it's all true. I can point to any one of you, and of course there's three fingers pointing back at me, right? We are all guilty of sin, falling short of God's glory. None of us are innocent or perfect. <laughs> But we are perfect in Christ. Christian, get a hold of that. <laughs> it's no wonder that those who are dwelling upon their own corruption should wear such downcast looks. But surely if we call to mind that Christ is made unto us righteousness, we should be of good cheer. On the cross, he said, it is finished. We sang it today. And if it is finished and I'm complete in him and I can have joy unspeakable, not having a righteousness of my own, which is of the law, but through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then he goes on to say this, the holiest people in the world are those who understand that their righteousness is secure because it's Christ's righteousness, and he's given it to them. Are you secure today in Christ? You can believe and have his righteousness and have no fear of death or judgment because you're standing in Christ. I plead with you to believe that if you haven't, not to doubt God's grace and mercy because he is not like us, demanding you earn my love or respect but he gives it freely to those who humbly believe and receive it, admitting their need. That changes how we live, people of God. When we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, then we can have the dare to go out there and live for Christ and think we can make a difference as we follow him and walk in his righteousness. That's empowering. Shouldn't make us feel bad, but we realize we're, we're nothing without him. But let's move on. Maturing in Christ, second point, helping mold our church culture. I want to look at verses, chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 1 through 14. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your things on things that are above, not on things that are earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's our new position. And it talks about a new way of thinking because I'm one of Christ and I have his righteousness as undeserving as I am. I can live differently now. We need to know who Christ is and then to think differently. It leads to, putting, uh, leads to a new way of thinking. And then it talks about 
new ways of thinking. In verse 5 through verse 9, it says, put to death or, or put off the old things. And we won't go through the long list there, but there's a long list of sins that we love to do that we're tempted by and, and, and cave into many times. But it says you can put them to death through the power of Christ that's now living in you. And then it talks about putting on the new self or putting on Jesus's new clothes, his love, his compassionate heart, his kindness. Look at verse 11. I hope I'm making sense or am I connecting the dots here? Wow. Christ's new communities described in verse 11. See, uh, these people who've put their faith in Christ, these unrighteous people made righteous through this gift of grace that God gives us when we believe, we're new people. And it says in verse 11, here there's no Greek and Jew. There's no circumcised and uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave. There's no free. But Christ is all and in all. This new community, if a person's in Christ, then all the distinctions we assign to one another just kind of melt away. There's no one more righteous in Christ than somebody else. Pastors are not more righteous. Elders are not more righteous. Deacons are not more righteous. Ministry leaders are not more righteous than the little kids they teach or the youth they teach if they are in Christ. We are all righteous in Christ, and we have the same amount of righteousness, the same standing before God. You say, but you don't know me. <laughs> I don't need to know you, because if you are in Christ, then your sins, like my sins, have been removed. And I have the power now to grow in Christ, motivated to follow him because of his great love. There's no one more loved by Jesus if they are in Christ than some other one. Jesus doesn't love the Apostle Paul more than he loves you. You're in Christ. We don't lose our personal uniqueness or our gifts or abilities. I'm Matt Meter. I'm the only one, and we're grateful for that, aren't we? But, but Christ unites us. He enables us to grow in fruitfulness. That has implications for molding our church culture, who we are at Grace Chapel, this local fellowship of believers. Paul's prayer request is important, and we need to learn to pray, kind of pattern our prayers after him, because it's like the word of God. So it's like, this is a good way to pray. So we're to practice Christ's likeness together. It's a place where... We kind of get hands-on experience loving one another and forgiving one another and putting up with one another and carrying one another's burdens. So we get the practice here among ourselves. So when we go out there where it's tougher, where it's not so easy, where Christ's values and heaven's values aren't always liked or appreciated or understood, we get to practice them here together so when we go out we know how to do it. We learn how to get along with people that we don't like. Of course, everybody likes everybody here at Grace Chapel. No, we don't. And we need to work on it. 
Because we have the power to do it in Christ. Do not underestimate how important it is for us to grow in our knowledge of Christ and then putting on Christ's clothes when we're together. Because that molds what our fellowship becomes like if we're more Christ-like. So we have more integrity when we go out there. If we're doing it together here now. I would love to just connect, take a moment to connect verses, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 with verse 11. Look at verses, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So we've, the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, that's the prayer request. That you grow in your knowledge of Christ and knowing how to apply who you are in Christ to your everyday living. And then in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, and here there's no Greek or Jew. We're we're part of Christ. There's no uh, uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave. There's no free. But Christ is all and in all. We're all one together in Christ. Now that truth was going to be tested in this church. That brings us to the letter to Philemon. Do you know where that little letter is? It's just before the book of Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews. It's a one pager. So a lot of times you flip by it. But you understand Philemon was a master and Onesimus was a runaway slave that used to be in his household. And Onesimus, however it came about, became a new believer in Christ and he met Paul in Rome. And now Paul, excuse excuse me, is sending Onesimus back to Philemon and he says, guess what, Philemon? I trust you, but let me just put a little pressure on you subtly as a brother in Christ. You need to do the right thing. Onesimus, by the way, means useful. Well, he became useless to you when he ran away and it seems like he stole something. But now he's a brother in Christ. There's a new standing. You're the master and he's the slave, but all of a sudden, what? There's no slave or free in the body of Christ. What are you going to do, Philemon? What are you going to do? Are you going to forgive? Are you going to allow him to bring reconciliation? Are you going to be reconciled? Restitution? Are you going to love your brother in Christ? Master-slave suddenly changed in a relationship, putting to test this Christ-likeness right in a local body of Christ. What's going to happen? And if you do it well here, what impact will that have in your life, Philemon, Onesimus' life, in other relationships in your church, in your local congregations? Believers being molded into the image of Christ. Wow. So, as we mature, are we mature enough to be ready to receive those who are lost, who are seeking Christ, who need relief from their burdens of sin, and to bring all their messy issues into our lives and minister to them? Gee, we're messy enough ourselves. But just remember, we were messy and we still are, but now Jesus' new life is changing us. 
And he's willing, if he's willing to rescue you and rescue me, he's willing to rescue others who need that same forgiveness. We can expect him to bring them here if we're ready to live for him. Yes, we can gain spiritual intelligence. Yes, we can mature as we abide in Christ. Yes, we can mold a church culture that's reflecting the holiness more and more of our Savior so that people who are seeking relief from the burden of their sin can find it here. Quickly, we look at point three. Maturing in Christ, helping mold our frontline cultures. I asked this question at the beginning, I ask it again. Can we really make a difference out there where belief in God and heaven's ways are either unknown or not liked very well? That's God's plan. It's a tall order. And that's why Paul's constantly reminding his Christians that he writes to who Jesus is, what he's done for them, their new standing before God in Christ, and it reminds them of Christ's enabling power. We're appointed to be fruitful. So parents, it does really matter how we live at home because it touches not only our family, but it affects how our kids go out into the world. It affects our neighborhood. It affects the school. It affects the playgrounds. It affects lots of things, how we live our lives. So yeah, we need to ask God to help us mature. We need to ask Christ's power to grow in wisdom and nurture, to understand how to be better parents. Professionals, how we work and our vocabulary and how we serve others and how we speak to them does matter in the workplaces on the Zoom meetings, our decisions. If we give them honor Christ for our decisions, it may cause people to consider if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. Students, how you interact with your teachers and professors does make a difference. How you do your homework, at least give it a good shot. How you interact with your peers and speak them and how you treat to them. Do you treat them fairly? Do you pray for them when they are not so nice to you? It does make a difference. Grandparents, yes, your prayers and how you're maturing in Christ does make a difference. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it has much influence on in our extended families, but remember who Jesus is. Remember what he's done for you and who you are in Christ and dare to follow him. Now, we know big stories. Phil, thank you for sharing about Frederick Douglass today. We've heard the story about William Wilberforce in Britain and how this man, abolitionist, caused a whole empire eventually. Like he worked on it hard for his whole life. And he died three days just before they passed the thing that abolished slavery in almost the whole British empire. 46 years of working to see it done, bringing justice where injustice was. That's a great big story. You know, Christians had influence. In the Roman world, you know, the gladiator games, the Christians had something to do with them stopping. It took like 300 plus years before they stopped, but there was influence as the gospel spread. So understand that. And we can celebrate and pray for and serve in smaller ways. We have Amnion here. giving. We can support it because it's giving our culture a different alternative to challenge its thinking about the sanctity of life. Even our ESL ministry here, it's molding culture. It's trying to help us shape our culture here to welcome the stranger, 
to help them to flourish so that they can gain ground in their life and, and, and support their kids. It has an eye, though, of encouraging people to join the community of Christ by faith and rise against hunger and great faith vision and children and youth ministry. And it just goes on and on. Those are parts of molding a culture that wants to spread the gospel out and help people grow in him. Our global outreach is the same, going to places, missionaries going where we can't. Your front line is a part of that. Don't underestimate the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel to change you and then the influence you can have, even if it's a little bit in the cultures that you're a part of in this world. He saved us to do that. Molding culture is way beyond us. Molding culture in the world is nothing for Jesus Christ. Know who he is and what he's done to bring you into his family and dare to believe and follow. Let it change the way you pray for your brothers and sisters this week that you know and their front line issues, whether it's at home, at work, at school, with, with their kids, with their older kids, with extended family, whatever it is. Today we're coming to the Lord's table. Let's remember who Jesus is. Let's remember what he's done to make us his own people, holy and blameless and able to reveal the kingdom of God in this world. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask you to empower us, to remind us of who you are, Lord Jesus. You are God, fully God. And you're also our Savior, the one who came to change us, to make us new people, to give us new life. Help us to believe that, to receive it, and to live differently out of love and gratitude for all you've done for us so that your name is lifted up. We pray this all in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, for his honor and glory. Amen.